From finance and commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. Above all, it's a show about what's next, creativity, and the innovation and technology that are changing how we work and shaping the future of business throughout our state. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers who may challenge the status quo, but also make their dreams a reality. I'm Joel Shetler, your host and editor of Finance and Commerce, Minnesota's oldest business newspaper and online publication. Thanks so much for joining me. During his 35 years as a Twin Cities-based real estate attorney, Jim Walston has served a wide range of clients on everything from commercial real estate purchases to public transportation projects. Walston, a partner with the Ballard Spar law firm in Minneapolis, has stayed busy of late, representing his clients' interests as states and cities renew restrictions to slow the spread of COVID-19. In the following interview, Walston speaks with reporter Brian Johnson about how commercial landlords and tenants are dealing with challenges related to the pandemic, civil unrest, and more. Well, I'm pleased to be joined today by uh, Jim Walston, uh, attorney with Ballard Spar, Ballard Spar Law Firm in Minneapolis. Jim, how are you doing today? Thanks for checking in. I'm, I'm doing great. Thank, thank you for the uh, time and the opportunity to talk. I understand you're staying busy, so that's a good thing, right? Yeah, it's it's been very busy, though the, well, you know, usually year-end we're, we're busy anyway, okay, Brian? Mm-hmm. Uh, but this this year, for some reason, it and I don't know if it's because everybody's working remotely and we're putting deals together, things take a little bit more time and uh, things are, require a little bit more patience uh, on pulling things together, working with all the third parties to a transaction, be it uh, engineers or title companies, uh, insurance people, thus and such cities who have to maybe a- a- approve things whatnot but it does it does seem like a heightened uh sense of uh, business compared to uh, previous years yeah uh, absolutely i wonder if we could just back up a little bit and if you could just introduce yourself and um talk a little bit about uh, where you focus your practice and and um who some of your clients are and um how long you've been with the ballard spar Okay, so we I'll I'll kind of answer as as best I know how to all those questions. So I, my name is Jim Walston. I'm with the Ballard Spar Law Firm in Minneapolis, in the IDS Center, and uh, I have been uh, practicing law now for 35 years. I uh, am the uh, Minneapolis uh, coordinator of our real estate department. So Ballard Spar is a Philadelphia law firm, uh, a top AMLAW 100 uh, law firm. And for those of you who may uh, have some idea of uh, law firms in the Twin Cities or some historical reference, uh, uh, we used to be Lindquist and Benham. And three years ago, we merged with Ballard Spar. So uh, we occupy several floors here in the IDS Center where I am today. uh, kind of by my lonesome, but needing to get a lot of things done. Um, as for my practice, I do a lot of uh, real estate lending work. I do a lot of commercial landlord and tenant work. 
I handle a number of uh, uh, land use matters, uh, development matters, and uh, uh, from time to time I get involved in some some uh, public transportation projects, either either for public entities or for uh, uh, private parties affected by such. So I, I have a, a wide array of clients, uh, which is way the way I like to do things. I don't like to get, uh, well, it's kind of the way it evolves, right? So uh, I kind of have my fingers in a lot of different things and try to stay stay up and try to avoid the the uh, handle that I'm a jack of all trades and master of none. <laughs> so uh, yeah, banks, developers, you know, such big and small private landowners. Uh, I think I do maintain a number of clients that I've had for over 30 years. Nice. All companies that have grown bigger and they call me and so yeah. That's that's what I do. Recently, uh, there has been a, a lot of uh, uh, construction lending work that I've, I've done over the past uh, three or four months, with which, as you and I talked beforehand, uh, kind of surprised me a little yeah. bit. There would be that much construction lending work, but there is on certain segments of of the economy, I would say certainly not retail uh, or office, uh, but uh, multifamily residential and industrial. Mm. There's a, a good amount of construction lending going on. Yeah. Um, there's a good number of sale leaseback transactions going on mm. where a company has multiple sites and has determined for one reason or another uh, to partner up with a real estate investment company mm -hmm. and sell the real estate holdings and lease back, mm -hmm. uh, mainly in the industrial sectors. I've also seen uh, an interesting change in some single family housing development and lending work where uh, there are some developers that are developing single residential tracks which normally are developed and then sold to individual parties and they go out and get their residential mortgage and that's their home. Well, here the concept is they, uh, the developer builds the homes, single detached homes and uh, leases them, which is a little bit different concept where people are renting brand new single family homes. Yeah. So, I see a lot of different things. Certainly there's a, with the COVID impact, there has been a, uh, a real uh, downturn in, in retail. Mm -hmm. But I'm not really seeing the quick to take back uh, properties, mortgage properties that are retail or smaller office. I'm, I'm seeing it uh, landlord and tenant working and working with their lender to try to figure out what's what's going to happen <clears throat> on that. Not like it was back, you know, 10 or 12 years ago where there was a lot of receivership and foreclosure. Yeah. It's, it's just really hasn't come out like it did in 
2008-2009, or as quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you get a sense that uh, landlords are working with their tenants more on uh, maybe restructuring leases or things like that? To yes, yes. Keep them going? Yeah, anything, you know, there's, there's a number of things that are going on. Uh, landlords, if it's a multi-tenant facility or retail center with Retail shops or uh, maybe some uh, uh, counter order food restaurants or sit down or, or take out, you know, whatever it is. Uh, landlords want to keep those retail centers viable because, you know, once, once things start going dark and uh, uh, lease premises are vacated or, or not, um, used by a tenant, it it starts to look bad for the whole retail center. You don't get that mix of, of uh, customers or traffic going to multiple places in a retail center. So, you know, landlords are trying what they can uh, to do to keep, uh, to keep, you know, call it keep the lights on. Now, yeah. there, there's a limit to, to a lot of that, uh, but I think generally uh, landlords and tenants are working together in that regard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you said you've seen a um, surprising amount of construction lending going on, uh, obviously not in the office and retail sector, like- Not that worked on. Yeah, what, 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 do you, what do you suppose is uh, driving that activity to the extent that you are seeing um, lending out there? Um, any, anything you can put your finger on? Uh, well, you know, I, I'll, I'll get a project to work on, principally on behalf of a lender after it's gone through all the underwriting approvals and such. Uh, so, uh, but from what I've been told, and what I've been told by my lending clients is there's, you know, there's obviously got to be a Eastern market for industrial properties, they have uh, Build to suit or a uh, some type of arrangement where uh, it, it could be some spec, yeah, but there's a strong market for certain industrial uh, light manufacturing. It's you know it's hit and miss, but I'm seeing with the work I do uh, the justification for for new construction. You know based on that, as I mentioned earlier. The new construction with the multi multi-family housing i think some of that is a, a function of a different way of thinking with uh younger families and the uh departure from having the the owned home as being you know the the primary goal for people so, you know, there's there's more of a market for that. The people, uh, young families starting to have kids and so on, and they don't want to be in an apartment, but apartments are going real strong too. Yeah. So senior housing. So um, there's there's no let up on, on, on that either, it, you know, from my view of the world, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what, what, so you work with both, Landlords and tenants, is that right? Uh, a commercial, yeah, I would say it's a pretty even mix. Landlords and tenants, and of course, if you're representing a lender, 
you are uh, certainly have a direct interest in in leases and the viability of leases and and how that fits into uh, a a loan. So you know all, but as between landlord and tenant, I would say it's pretty pretty evenly evenly balanced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there are you know what do we do with one of the hot topics right now is how do we handle the COVID uh, issue in a lease? Yeah. And I've talked with other people about this. I mean, you, there's a lot of discussion on that and whether COVID should be an excuse for uh, a tenant under certain circumstances to perform under the lease. And, and I think the general answer for that is um, currently as any lease is drafted prior to March of 2020, uh, it wasn't an excuse. It would be the rare exception where you'd find a lease that a pandemic, ex first of all, it falls under a force majeure clause that you typically find in a lease where there's a uh, natural disaster or something like that that prevents the parties from performing. Typically, and I would say pretty close to almost universally, the clauses in commercial leases recognizes that as maybe a hindrance for a tenant to perform certain obligations under the lease, but almost uniformly, it's it's going to uh, confirm that it doesn't excuse the payment rent mm -hmm. or payment financial obligation. Now we have COVID. So what does that do? I think there are more tenants pushing to have that pandemic related clause in a force majeure, which may be fine. They can't do something because they don't have the staff, this, that, or the other times. Or related issue may be that they they have the ability to um, go dark for a period of time. Uh, either on their own choice because of lack of foot traffic. Certainly, if there's a government order, that would clearly fall within a force majeure that prevents someone from being open. But then the, that's fine, but what happens with the rent? Well, there's variations on all that. Uh, you know, the, I suppose the most tenant-friendly would be that if there's pandemic and we can't operate, we don't have to pay rent. Okay, you know, is a landlord gonna go for that? Or there's gradations on that. If, if you're aware of a commercial lease, there are several components of paying rent. There's the base rent, and then there's the CAM or additional rent, which is the operating expenses, property taxes and insurance. So as a compromise, I've seen where if there is a situation that fits criteria, maybe the, maybe the landlord and tenant have agreed that the base rent would be uh, deferred or limited amount, but the tenant still has to pay the operating expenses. Mm -hmm. There's, it, 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 it depends. And the landlord and tenant always have to keep in mind or Particularly, a landlord has to keep in mind of what it promised to its a lender. Mm -hmm. You're not going to change any leases. 
without our approval, or you can't do this, or you can't have a lease that has a low market rent. So it's not always as easy as a landlord and tenant agreeing that this is what they're going to do moving forward because uh, the lender has a vested interest in you know the ongoing viability of leases or the performance enhancement, be it uh, you know a guarantee or that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if your clients have been asking you about, or if you've been studying closely the uh, latest uh, COVID relief package to come out of Congress, and and if you, if your clients might see any significant help in that package, assuming it gets signed. Um, that's something that uh, people are asking you about? Well, with the PPP under the CARES Act, I'm back in March. There's some, some general questions that were posed. Mm. And uh, there was, I mean, that was a very hot topic. What does all this mean? Mm. Who qualifies? That, those, those types of things. How is this going to affect, you know, do I have to use it? What, what are qualified expenses I can use that on. I really don't get approached that much. The banks are really on top of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a lot of information out there. So I, the uh, back in March and April, you know, well, we got the client call, well, we got PPP. Okay, how easy was it? Well, it depends on the bank. Uh, or we didn't get PPP, we got shut out. And we're going to use this and that, or, you know, we got it. Although we really didn't need to, we, but out of the abundance of caution, we, we got it. Mm -hmm. So I, I've seen it, uh, but as far as me spending time and looking it over closely, you know, it's, uh, I've seen the forms. I helped. Hey, Jim, I need to get my articles of organization. You have my records, or they need to see this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, I'll provide that to you. But mm -hmm. as far as the actual involvement in it, I know other other lawyers in our firm got a lot more involved in that at a higher level, representing banks on what mm -hmm. could be done and not be done. Mm -hmm. Now, I know there's a recent, I heard this morning that there's another round of PPP. Um, I don't know if it's been approved or not, and it's uh, it, the the eligibility is for smaller. It it's capped at I think 300 employees as opposed to the 500 employees that was in under the original. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I haven't I haven't really tracked it that much. Nor I have I, you know, I, to be honest with you, I pick up my information on what I hear on the radio. <laughs> Well, I, um, what's, but if it, yeah. it's like, okay, maybe I ought to check this, you know, like Governor Walls, the executive orders. Right. You know, you know I, I've read that, and where does that go with tenancies, mm -hmm. lease interest, and that type of thing? Uh, but um, I, I haven't really spent a lot of client time on these, on these types of executive orders can be done. I know there there has been interestingly enough and it's it's kind of disconcerting a number of uh, 
property managers, I wouldn't say a number, that's an overstatement. I've had property managers contact me, landlords con contact me about what rights they have with their security personnel and what their security personnel can and can't do, i.e., you know, carry firearms or you know, uh, uh, defensive mace, pepper spray, that type of thing, uh, boarding up, you know, the whole, yeah. in addition to COVID, a lot of issues have, have popped up with the civil unrest component. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. That's oh, man, that's top kind of, of the line for a lot of people, and especially in Minneapolis. Yeah, so that might be a little bit of a segue in, in into that area where the, the topics were, okay, you have a multi-tenant building, and we have COVID going on, and we have this, we have less foot traffic and everything else. We want to close off or barricade off common areas. We just don't want, you know, or we want to board up this, that, and the other thing. Okay, well. You know, can we do that? Or what? what's gonna happen to insurance? Or who's responsible to replace this that has been vandalized? Or does a landlord have the obligation to remove graffiti or, you know, you know these types of, of things? And it really comes back to, you know, what's in, what's in the lease. But uh, there, there were, you know, concerns of, tightening up access points that otherwise were in uh, uh, multi-tenant buildings. For instance, in the IDS here in Minneapolis, mm -hmm. part of it's COVID because of the big reduction in tra foot traffic downtown and some of its security is there's only, uh, you can't get in the way you used to into this building. Mm -hmm. And you cannot get up in the office tower like you used to in this building since last March. Mm -hmm. A lot of things have been have been toggled down where people just can't go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. where is where is that going to lead? I don't know. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy world we're living in, and um, I am curious to kind of continuing on the topic of the civil unrest. Um, have you worked with any clients, whether building owners or tenants who have suffered property damage and maybe they're wondering what their what their rights are or is that more of just an insurance issue or? More oh, pretty much an insurance issue. Um, I've seen that, I've heard about it, but you know, most of the people that I work with or I come in contact with, they, they're more adept at that face-to-face -face meeting with their insurance uh, people than getting me involved. And if there is some dispute as to coverage, uh, well, you know, I have, I have my, my colleagues here and that, and that does come up coverage questions or uh, duty to insure uh, uh, questions. And we have our, our, our experts here that, you know, I know well enough to contact them. <laughs> well, I know it's been a big issue for subcontractors and general contractors too. If something happens that's uh, maybe it's the fault of a subcontractor, then you know the general contractor might get in trouble or vice versa. Um, it's uh, that 
insurance can be a, a messy process sometimes. Yeah, it is, especially well with when you're talking contractor and subcontractor and, and the tangled web of of design professionals, contractors, owners, lenders, and so on that does the whole the whole risk areas is very um, comprehensive, should we say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Complicated. So how did you end up in this specific line of work uh, is it focusing on real estate? Um, is that just something you've had an interest in for a long time or did you work in that field at one point? Well, a little bit of both. Uh, when I was in high school, you know, over 40 years ago, I worked for a real estate appraiser. And everything was done manually. So I manually inspected buildings, took pictures of builds, measured them, to complete an appraised report. I also drove, this was out in Portland, Oregon, which is a tri-county area. I also drove right routinely to the county seats to get the building assessor's cards to compare that to actual and property tax information. That's the only way you could get it back then. Oh, yeah. 1975 and 76. So I learned a lot about that. I've always had a great love for geography and maps and that type of thing. But, you know, going into law school, um, the, the business aspect of law uh, appealed to me more than the litigation, mm -hmm. right? transactional litigation. Litigation never really did that much for me, but then starting practice uh, here in the metro area in the mid 80s and the, the, the boom of development, I started find, I found myself started working on development projects, real estate lending. And, you know, I would say by 1990, that was probably two thirds of the work I was doing. Mm -hmm. you know, for a smaller firm and then it, it really has you know, that's what I do. And, and I think that's kind of where the legal profession has gone too, right? So um, there aren't too many people doing general practice anymore in the metropolitan area. Now you get out to smaller areas where the need is expertise to have one person do a lot of different things. So I've, I've always enjoyed real estate and working, working with people to get something done to me more and I know that what over about half the people in my firm would disagree that appeals to me a lot more than uh, working on a project and then litigation I suppose is a lot of it is the way I was brought up in my nature too so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what what do you see coming uh, I know it's it's uh, kind of dangerous to make predictions, but what do you, what do you see coming ahead in 2021 in terms of uh, real estate and construction? Um, and, and kind of what do you get the sense from talking to your clients? Well, I, I think it's kind of like what you hear or indirectly on the on the in the media, the business media, if you will, in the news. Is when are things going to get back to normal? Or back to well, are they ever going to get back to normal, right? Mm -hmm. On some of these security things and social distance and air travel, but 
okay, maybe halfway through 2021, we, we might see some uh, uh, a slight rebound on, on some of the retail. Um, I'm not really sure about office, where office is gonna end up because uh, many of us have learned that, you know, working from home does it and you can do it. I know that our firm has with, I don't know, 750, 800 people, professional people, we've been able to do it. A lot of law firms can do it. So uh, some type of recovery where the mindset's a little bit different and there is uh, a, a sense that we can move forward on some things that, that, were, that were put on hold. So I think there's optimism that uh, things are gonna change. Uh, we always, uh, I mean, what's gonna happen to the future of retail with respect to all the online ability to do a lot of things, big unknowns. But I think once people start feeling they can get out and around that we're going to see some sort of rebound. Yeah. And I, and I suppose on the negative side of it, for 2021, I think we're going to continue to see uh, uh, entities who lease space or own space uh, not being able to survive. And then what do we do with the repurposing of, of those properties mm -hmm. uh, that are processed through a foreclosure receivership or bankruptcy or that type of thing? Well, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I wish you uh, well in the coming year and stay safe out there. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to Beyond the Skyline. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about finance and commerce, or to subscribe, go to our website, www.finance-commerce.com. I'm Joel Shetler, Editor of Finance and Commerce. Thank you again for listening to Beyond the Skyline.